Hey everyone, it's great to see you here this morning. Our first service was the popular service, it seems like. Everybody's heading to the lake, I think is what we, uh, what we saw. But nevertheless, we, uh, it's exciting to see you guys here for the, second ser- or the 11 o'clock service. And um, we are in between a series right now. We just talked about uh, being at sam- summer at the lake here next week. And then this week we're going to be talking, or last week we just came out of a series called uh, The End of Your Rope. And I hope and pray that that series was very challenging for you. Uh, I think that was an awesome series, really ta- uh, enabling us to take a critical look at our faith and understanding that it's through those times, it's through the difficult times, it's through the times uh, that doesn't make sense, it's through the times where we just literally feel like we're at the end of our rope, and that's when God really comes through, and, and our faith is genuinely tested, and it really shows how genuine our faith is. And so um, I hope that you were really challenged through that series. Today I want to take uh, uh, an in-between week here, and, and this is kind of what we call a standalone, and I want to share with you some stuff, uh, you know, where we're going, kind of a little vision stuff, where we're, what's taking place place, information, some of that thing, some of those things, and then uh, re- take a look at a passage of scripture that I think is, is uh, extremely critical at this time uh, in the season of our church. And I titled this uh, talk, Who's in Charge? And, and I'm going to, you just think about that, and I want you to answer that within, uh, as you listen to this message, and um, just kind of answer that to yourself as we, as we uh, go through this, this uh, particular uh, uh, time. So I just want to give you some information. Uh, to say that our church, to say that Element has um, experienced some uh, hardships and negativity over the past year is probably an understatement. Uh, we have uh, experienced our, our due course of things. And, and so in that, it produces a lot of emotion. It produces a lot of emotion with many of us. Some of us, we experience fear. Some of us, we experience anger. Some of us, we experience doubt. Some of us experience discouragement. I mean, you name it, there's a flood of emotions that can kind of just take, take us over and, and make us really question things. And, but as, as, we, as we take a look at that, what I want to do is I want to share with you some information uh, about where we're going and, and just kind of, you know, some of the information that's been recent uh, with Pastor Joe resigning and kind of, okay, what's the next step? What's taking place? What's happening? And so I just want to share with you just... Again, some information, and then I want to take a look at passage of Scripture as it relates to all this, the, the stuff that we're going to be talking about. Um, currently, we are, uh, or I shouldn't say currently, but we are a multi-site church, which means... There's two campuses. That's a novel idea, isn't it? We are multi-site. We have two campuses. We have one here in Blissfield. We have one in Adrian. We are not two churches. We are one church with two campuses. And with that being said, what we're trying to go towards is a campus staff model, which means we have a campus pastor at Blissville, we have a campus pastor at Adrian. We have someone over, ideally, uh, as everything just works out and as we continue to work towards this, uh, we will have uh, one per, like a person over worship uh, at this campus, one person to worship over at the Adrian campus. And so kids camp, kids camp, uh, students, students, and we just kind of get down the line. Campus pastors will be very critical and essential to that as they will drive home the vision and mission. How are we helping people encounter, express, and engage, uh, you know, encounter the, the love of Jesus Christ and, and, and engaging, expressing that back to him and engaging uh, the world with that. And so they will be critical. Uh, at the Blissfield campus, as you know, Pastor Joe uh, resigned. His last week was, la- uh, his, his, yeah, his last week was the week, just last week. And so Right now, we are currently in a, you know, in a search for a campus pastor for this campus, in which that, again, I just share with you some of the things he will, he will be doing. In the past, it, we've had, uh, Adrian campus has been somewhat open, and, and with that, in the past few weeks, we have brought CJ on board, CJ Clymer, and you can see him and his family there, and he's the one that's not so cute, if you're having a hard time just... 
discerning which one CJ is. Uh, CJ uh, has a lot of experience, and and he's got some, uh, just really brings a lot of life and a lot of uh, experience and some cool things to the staff, which will uh, definitely uh, be saturated over the whole ministry, not just Adrian Campus. But nevertheless, he is on staff, he is on the team at the Adrian Campus, uh, providing oversight and again, making sure things take place there. Kids Camp Coordinator, we have Becky Gagne, Those, many of you are familiar with Becky. Becky is the Kids Camp Coordinator there at Adrian, doing a wonderful, jo- fabulous job and has also kind of helped out uh, as we had like a, 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 um, a gap here to Adrian Campus. With that being said, we have brought also Kathy Moore on. As many of you know her, Kathy Moore is going to be providing kids, is going to be the kids camp coordinator here at Blissfield. Uh, she was here in the first service. Now she's out in the park playing uh, with the kids, you know, having fun with uh, uh, different things and teaching them the, about, uh, about Jesus. And so uh, we just want to welcome these two and, and how they will play a critical role into where we're taking, where we're heading. But again, being camp, being uh, multi, multi-site, having two campuses, it's critical critical that we, uh, and ideal that we just really drive home that campus staff models. And we, again, we will be working very diligently right now as, as it uh, uh, pertains to uh, driving home, or finding that, attaining that kid, or attaining that campus pastor here at Blissfield. At the students, Joe and Andrea Saylor has been working with the students here at Blissfield, and they will continue to do so. And so um, uh, that's some of the things that's going on. Secondly, let me share this to, with you as well. I'm looking at my notes. Uh, something else we've been entertaining here is, is, uh, is, and we've been talking about it and reflecting and trying to uh, determine what would be best, but offering something at that 10 o'clock hour in between services. Many of you expressed the desire for that. Many of you said, man, this, is a, this would be a, a good time spot. And so we are really uh, looking at that, and we'll be uh, probably having something in place in the fall. And so uh, just some cool things that's beginning to take place. But nevertheless, as we go through this season, as we go through this time, you know, some of the question is, what, you know, what's going on? What's going on with the church? What's going on with Element? What's happening? What's taking place? Where are we going? What are we doing? And I started reflecting on that question because I, I, I asked myself the same thing. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we going to do? How are we going to fix the problems? How are we going to address the issues? How are we going to do certain things? And by the way, guys, let me just throw the disclaimer out. I don't want this message to sound patronizing whatsoever uh, because it's, it is not. Uh, but, but I want to share something with you that's going to, that, that really generates a lot of passion inside of me. And so I, I will become very passionate about this message. But I just want to say that it's not pa- patronizing or anything like that. I want to share the passion that I have with you. And so as I begin to reflect on that question, um, you know, it's really been, it's really been challenging. And to say that I haven't experienced fear, I haven't experienced discouragement, or I haven't experienced uh, some of the, you know, some things uh, as I reflect upon the ministry of Element would not be true at all either. I experienced some of the same things that you do. In fact, this past week, I called up a pastor friend and said, and asked him, I said, hey, is there any way we could get together and really talk about some stuff? Because I'm really struggling, emotion, processing some stuff emotionally that's taking place at, at our church, some of the transitioning and things like that. Uh, we set up a time, he's not, he's not in this area, but we set up a time where we Skyped, uh, those are familiar with that, the video conferencing, and as, as we begin to Skype, uh, I, you know, I begin to share uh, some of the things that's going on. And by the way, let me just share this, uh, this is a guy that I really thought could relate with some of the things that we're going through. Uh, the, when he first went to his church, it was around 2,000, in which God took them down on a path that led them down to 400, and then back up. Kind of talking about the same stuff, end of the rope. Why? Why does God do that? 
Why would God take a church of 2,000, take it down to 400, and bring it back up? Vastly different church now. Vastly different. That doesn't mean the people who made up the church in the past were wrong. It means God had something else in mind. And some people just chose not to be a part of it. And so as I begin to talk to him about that, I'm like, how did you process that emotionally? How did you process seeing certain relationships dissolve? How did you process seeing you know, key people kind of walk away or people that you could really count on just become discouraged and frustrated and, and, and depressed and just kind of give up hope? How, how did you deal with that? And so we begin to engage with that and talk about it. And, and as I was sharing with him you know, some, of my, you know, some of the emotions that I was experiencing, I shared with him, I said that, I said, you know what? I said, the one thing that, I'm, that, I, that I believe we have to be committed to is taking this ministry and giving it, giving it to Christ. He leans into the monitor, into the camera, and says this. You're going to give the ministry to Christ? You're going, you're going to give the ministry, the church, to Christ. You, this is what he said to me, when did this church become yours? When did this church become anybody's but Christ's? And you have the audacity, and he wasn't really chastising me, he was changing my perspective. You have the audacity to say that you're going to give God's church back to him. It's like, dude, I called you up for some emotional support. I didn't call you up for <laughs> rake me across the coals, man. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. My perception radically changed. I believe that. I read that. I read in the Word of God that I believe that this is Christ's church. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to practicing it out, when it comes down to living it out, isn't there many times that we take that burden upon ourselves to say, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix it? How are we going to address certain issues? How are we going to get back to where we were at? And all this other stuff. We, 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 we. All the way home. (laughs) How are we going to do this? And guys, like I said, I'm not patronizing and I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm saying I'm very passionate about this because I want to tell you something. When I got off the phone and I went to the Word of God and I read a passage in the Word of God, I, was, I felt such freedom from the load that I was carrying around. Because I want to tell you something. If you're looking to me to fix the problems around here, if you're looking to me to grow this church, if you're looking to yourself, if we're looking to each other for some, to make something happen, it's not going to happen. I'm going to fail you, you're going to fail it, everybody's going to fail it. It is God's church and God will build his church. But it is so easy to get, to get diverted. It's so easy for Satan, the enemy, to take us and kind of just, ta- just make us look around and, and, and start changing our thoughts and start making us entertain certain things that is not right. And as we do, we become fearful, we become discouraged, we become depressed. And we want to get out. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And I really need, if you didn't bring your Bible, I really need you to look, lean forward, grab the Bible out of the back of the pew. I would like everybody to follow along with me as we take a look at this passage. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is with his disciples. And in verse 13, there's this encounter that takes place that I think is just, I was just drawn to this immediately when I started thinking about this and I was challenged in that whole questioning, who are you 
Who are you to give God's church back to him? Listen to what he says, and listen, listen to how Matthew records this in his gospel, this event in his gospel found in Ma- uh, chapter 16, verse 13. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wherever you buy, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And what is that next word? Say it out. I want to hear it. Suffer. Are you kidding me? We're, suffer? That's not what... That's not what takes place. That when we follow Christ, we're not going to suffer. But yet Jesus says, Jesus says, I, there, I'm, we're going to be going to Jerusalem, and I must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter was challenged by that, was he not? Peter was challenged saying, Wait a minute. How on earth, you the Son of the living God, you're the Messiah, you're the one. How on earth can you suffer? How on earth, why on earth would anything ever negative take place to you in this particular sense? Why would you be killed? Why would you die? And Jesus says, whoa, hang on a second. I don't think he was really chastising Peter. I think he was chastising the spirit that was coming through him. Peter didn't know. But I think he was saying, don't, don't try to thwart me off the vision. Don't try to thwart me off the plan of God. Don't try to thwart me off what God's mission is in this whole... My life is based upon God's mission. And God said, God the Father is leading me down a path that says, I will, I will suffer, I will die, and I will be resurrected again. Then Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not lose death, or will not taste death, before they see the Son of Man coming uh, coming uh, in his kingdom. You know, as I, was, as I was looking at this, the first thing that really jumps out that I think we really need to just pay so close attention to is this. It's not you or I that's going to be building the church, it's Christ. And Christ, I want you to reflect on Jesus' claim to build his church. Check out the authority of this promise. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know what, guys, I'm going to give you a bunch of, I'm going to give you some really qualified pastors that's going to take my church and just sit back and watch and see what happens. Guys, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put elders in place, and these guys are going to be such men that's going to make just blow the roof off this place, and it's going to make it grow exponentially. Or I'm going to put some leaders in there. I'm going to put an ad board in there. 
I'm going to put this, that, or the other. Groups of committed church people. Or I'm going to put missions in there. I'm going to put parachurches in there. He doesn't say any of that. Not saying that those things are wrong. Those things are inherently not wrong whatsoever. But what he does say is this. He, it is ultimately dependent upon the power of the wisdom and faithfulness of the risen and living Christ to keep his promise that says, I will grow my church. That's big C, little c. We all make up his church. And Jesus' claim says, I will grow my church. You're not going to grow it. I will grow it. You may play a part in it, and you will play a part in it, but that doesn't rest upon your shoulders. It rests upon my shoulders. I will build my church. And furthermore, the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell can come up against me, but it will not prevent me from building my church. Listen to what Romans 15, 18 says. Paul says this, look back over what has been accomplished. Or he says, looking back over what has been accomplished and what I have observed, I must say I am most pleased in the context of Jesus. I'd even say proud, but only in that context. I have no interest in giving you a chatty account of my adventures, only the wondrously powerful and transformingly present words and deeds of Christ in me that triggered a believing response among the outsiders. Paul says, the things that we're experiencing, this incredible movement that's taking place within my ministry, these lives being radically and utterly changed, this stuff that's happening that is so unspeakable has nothing to do with anything that I've done, but has everything to do with what Christ is doing in and through me. Christ is the one that triggered all this. Christ is the one that's building his church. Christ is the one that's responsible for all this. Christ is the one that's drawing people, men and women, to himself. And it is a privilege to be a part of that. Christ accomplished it. Pastors and elders are crucial, but they're not the ultimate. Having a staff at a church are crucial, but they're not the ultimate. Christ is the ultimate. His promise says that He will build His church. You're not the ultimate. You're crucial, but you're not the ultimate. Christ is the one that's ultimate here. And he says that he will build the church. Paul goes on to say one person plants, another person waters, but yet Christ is the one who makes it grow. Christ is the one that builds his church. Is it any wonder then, guys, does it it seem ironic or coincidental that the same person, Matthew, who recorded these events in his gospel, at the end of his gospel says this. He records Jesus' uh, his last his last command to the disciples and Jesus says this as he conclu- as Matthew concludes his gospel Jesus says this all authority has been given to me all authority has been given to me heaven and earth go therefore and make disciples I have the authority to do it. I have power over the darkness. I have power over death. I have power over hell. I have power over governments. I have power over peoples. I have ultimate power over everything that you witness and you see. And I'm asking you and commanding you to go and help build the kingdom of God. But let's say, let's be clear. I'm the one that will build my church. All you have to do is be faithful. All I'm asking you to do is come along for the ride. So go. And P.S., I'll be with you. See, we forget that P.S. a lot of times, do we not? The, the, the problem here is, guys, is how we answer that question. The problem is how when Jesus answered the, or asked these two questions up in our reading, where he says, hey, who do the people say that I am? You see, how we answer those questions is, the, is, is where we really get into the snag. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
You see, we think a lot of times that we can do it. We think we can hire the best people. We think that we can read the right books, the seminars, the conferences, all of those things. We think that if we can get together and we can lay out a plan, and I mean a detailed plan, and we organize ourselves, and we, you know, we plan together and we organize superbly, that we will be able to grow the church. And furthermore, we will ask the questions. I want to know how you're doing that. I want to know, I want to see how you are doing that. How are we going to fix it? How are we going to grow it? How are we doing? And yet, the Word of God through Isaiah and Paul, two individuals says this, God's ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. Paul writes and says, How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. The one thing is for sure, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Christ who rules earth and heaven says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Here's the question, guys. As we look at that and answer answer this question, I want to ask you this. Do you hear God's call in that on your life this morning? Do you hear God's call with that on your life? Do you want to pursue something absolutely certain? Do you want to pursue something, uh, give yourself to something that is absolutely invincible? Nothing done for Christ is going to be done in vain. We give ourselves to this cause. Jesus said, my my message will go out. He says in Matthew, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony. Paul quotes Psalm 117 where it says, Praise the Lord for all you Gentiles and let all the peoples praise Him. In Revelation it says, You were slain and purchased for God with your blood Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The question is, how do we answer that question? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to Element Church? Who do you say that He is? Will we treasure Him? Will we trust Him? Will we honor Him? Will we we follow Him for who He really is? Will we count the cost? I find it very interesting, this whole passage of Scripture, the events on how they flow. Peter confesses Him to be the Christ, and then Jesus right from there says, I'm going to go and suffer, and by the way, you're going to be suffering too when you consider the cost. That's very interesting. Calling us to that way. The question comes back, though. Will we have complete allegiance to Him? And as we answer that question, is he really capable of building his church? Is he really capable of leading this church? Now, be very careful how you answer that question. Because as you answer that question, it determines whether or not you've dethroned Christ from his rightful place. How you answer that question determines your theology, or exposes your theology. Some may say, well, he may be capable of leading the church, but I'm not so sure he can get around this obstacle, that obstacle, and this obstacle. Really? So what you're saying is God has limited power? Well, we stand in the way of God at times. Really? So God looks at that and says, well, I really can't do anything because this person decided to do that. I believe that we can be intentional in trying to sabotage God's ministry, but I want to tell you something, guys, the way I believe, I go back to this passage of Scripture and I believe the gates of hell is not going to prevent God, Jesus from building His church. And if, Jesus, if there are people here that Jesus are going to reach, which I believe there are, He's going to build his church, whether we say he can or he can't. Whether you keep him on the throne or you take him off the throne. Your answer may be built on me. It may be built on the staff. It may be built on the elders or the programs, our past, our present, our future, you name it. Your answer to this question when we talk about, you know, can Jesus really do this? 
Some of you may say, some of you might identify more with the crowd where you say, you know what, I think Jesus was a really good guy. I think Jesus is, is capable of doing it, but I'm not so sure he can do it here. Or I'm not so sure he can really pull this, that, or the other off. So we kind of fall in the same crowd that says, well, he may be John the Baptist or Elijah, but he's really not the Messiah. The issue is whether or not you believe as Peter did. And Peter says this, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And by believing that, we believe then that Christ will build His church. Jesus says the gates of Hades will not prevail. They will be unlocked from the inside. The second half of verse 18 and the next few verses I read are going to be from the English Standard Version. But consider, this, consider the second part of verse 18. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. The gates of Hades, the gates of hell. They are the gates of death. Hades is the place of the dead in Jewish thought, which means that they are the gates that make make death look powerful and absolutely invincible. And it's as if what is dead is forever is going to be, what is dead is going to be dead forever, and nothing can ever get out of that death. But Jesus says this, these gates will not stop me from rescuing my people. How will he do it? He tells us in verse 21. After he makes it plain that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, he says that all authority belongs to him, the universe, and that he has the power over death. He says this, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. He's the one that's going to open the gates of hell. He's the one that's going to open the doors of Hades from the inside. He gets in by dying and he gets out by his resurrection. In Revelation 1.18, he says this, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys to death and Hades. The keys were kept inside and that's where Jesus went. He went in to get them. And when he came out, he brought the keys with him. So if God wants to build this church, he's going to build the church. If God wants to release you from bondage, he's got the keys to release you from bondage. That is the gospel that we believe in. That's the gospel that's being preached. That's the gospel in which... We base our lives upon that Jesus is in control, that Jesus is sitting on his throne. And he tells us in verse 24 and 25, he says to the disciples, anyone who wants to follow me, anyone who wants to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen to what Paul says as I close. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Guys, this is a message of hope for me. This is a message of recentering, realigning my perspective. This is a message that comes back that says, I, I don't, I'm not the one that has to fix things. You're not the one that has to fix things. God is asking us to be faithful. God is asking us to place our, our, our complete faith and implicit trust into Him. And believe in the promise that He gave us. That He will build His church. He will build His church. I can't I can't explain to you how monumental it was when he looked at, this pastor looked at me and says, oh, so you're going to give the church back to God. So here you are, and this is God, 
and you're saying, God, here you go, take your church back. How audacious of me to even somewhat think that. This is God's church. This is Christ's church. God will build it. The question is, how do we answer those questions when he asks us? How will Element answer that question? Who do we say that he is? How do you answer that question individually within your life? Is he big enough to lead you? Is he big enough to overcome the obstacles in your life? Is he big enough to, uh, to overcome the issues that's keeping you down in your life? The things that, that keeps you living a stale, counterfeit, spiritual life? Is he big enough to free you of that? How do you answer that question? I pray that you will continue to just think about these, these questions and just think about this, this whole, this, this message to say, you know what? God is alive here. God wants to do a ministry. God wants to do a work in and through Element Church. And He's going to. And we get to be along for the ride. As we close, I just engage with this song. We already sang it once. But holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. He is the one capable and willing and promises to grow His church.